Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 45. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon here with a very special guest starting season two of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast with our new lo- new logo and everything. I was about to say new logo. I'm not a Mets reliever. Uh, we've got Rich Staff with us tonight. The Richard Staff has joined us to start off season two with a bang. The king of the staff post, Mr. 14k followers despite the fact that he detests 13 and a half thousand of those uh rich welcome to the pleasant Thank you. podcast we're happy to have you i'm happy to be here with two of those 500 people i do like yeah it's so, this is like this is i can't really i think like overstate how long we've i think been wanting to make this happen this is just like this is just a huge deal for us i mean rich really needs no introduction sam and i were thinking like how are we going to introduce him but like at this point like everybody knows who he is you know it's it's the accolades are in the the staff post it the proof is in the pudding this is once you have a genre of viral tweet named yeah. after you once you have a brand like that i feel like you don't need an introduction yeah this would, it, it would be kind of like having like drill on the pod except uh I don't know. This is it's it's very more Mets specific, but I'm really excited. Rich, how was how was your weekend? Let's start with that. It was good. You know, I uh, if you ignore the Mets and you put a lot of emphasis on this period here at the end of Sunday where I'm on the pod, it it all evens out one way or another. Nice. That's great. I mean, yeah, that's definitely helps that they won today. Uh, that they pulled oh, that yeah. back. That was kind of a surprise at least to me I was like watching that first inning I mean I imagine you guys both saw the first inning in some form or another and it was like I was having like a meatloaf in celebrity apprentice style meltdown in my room watching that foul ball just like screaming at three guys who couldn't hear me to to go get the ball like cannot believe they won that game truly amazing with everything that happened I missed the first inning. I was broadcasting today on the road about 40 minutes down the road from where I'm at here in Syracuse. And we got to the ballpark at approximately 120, 130. Hmm. Uh, and the first inning had just happened. And I look at my phone, which had been like plugged in. I didn't look at my phone when I was driving, obviously. Uh, and as soon as I like park, I like check my phone and I see it's six nothing. And I don't know how it happened yet, but I just see that it's six nothing. And I just laugh. I just start laughing. Yeah. Because after last night, last night, I got to tell you the mood that last night's game put me in. Oh man, you did not want to be around me. And I was around people. Mm-hmm. You did not want to be around. I was not for a good 45 minutes there. Sam was not a pleasant man to be around, no. uh, which we'll talk more about the Saturday game because, oh my God. Yeah, I, I got no words for it. I mean, I'll find words because that's, you know, the whole thing with the podcast is words. But it, it's tough to find words for that loss because it was just one of the worst losses I think I've seen in my time. And there's been there's been plenty, plenty of bad losses. As a Mets fan, there's been plenty of bad losses. But yeah, today, I mean, I was keeping tabs on the game while I was broadcasting today. And when it got back to 6-4, when the blank, blank and horn hit the home run, oh, I, was yeah. like, I was like, oh, okay, so they're just going to, win this one instead yeah yeah it's ironic you know the the last series before the all-star break they they blow the five nothing lead in very i think gradual succession and they basically reversed all of that this time around coming back what was your favorite part though like like 
there was a lot of shit that happened. Favorite like, across two and a half days. It was just it was a big fire. Favorite part. Favorite? Man, it was a bad weekend. <laughs> yeah, favorite part though. What was your rich? I'll start with you since this is, I think, like more your flavor. Which part, like, which part I think brought you closest to Joker uh, reactions? I think oh. as someone who has fully submerged himself in the anguish that comes with following this team, I think sitting there and watching Taiwan Walker do a, a scoop of the ball directly mm. into the dugout and you just see guys rounding bases you see Mets walking in the other direction yeah. and you're thinking this is going in the hall of Jonathan VR sliding into Brandon Phillips ass and the Astros just crashing into each other and throwing the ball back and forth yeah you watch that and you know in one form or another it's going to be in the back of your brain for at least 10 or 15 years yeah my my first thought when it happened and people started circulating the highlight on twitter was oh my god this is going to get as much play as the stupid uh pirates play from earlier this season with javi Baez, uh where they like just didn't get the force out at first base and when he like stopped running in the base path and they tried to like hunt him down like that was my first thought was Oh my God, this is literally going to be the equivalent of that, except now it's not the pirates doing it. It's happening to the pirates and it's my favorite team. Yeah. Uh, and, and thankfully I think winning, I think winning the baseball game probably uh, like flips some of that around. Yeah. One thing that it sort of brought to mind was I guess like 2014 or 15, when Josh Harrison was in that rundown between oh. second and third base. Yeah. Very blatantly goes out of the line, but he dodges around and for at least a 24 hour cycle, it's all oh, you see that look how dumb these dudes are. They, they didn't tag him. He was safe. Yeah. And it has that same flavor of just horrible Pittsburgh energy. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to blame us for it, but like the ball hit Newman's foot. It either, I mean, pick your poison here. It either hit his foot and is a foul ball anyway, because this backspin was not natural at all, or it was just a foul ball to begin with. I mean, Taiwan Walker, like flipping the ball away is why two more runs scored on that. But also they did get the call wrong. Very obviously got the call wrong. We're getting a, our first uh, caller. Yeah, that's uh, we're getting a WFAN call. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's, but we'll keep that good, on. But I was gonna say, by the way, friends. I was gonna say, by the way, that's funny that that just happened. I was gonna say, Rich, your your WFAN caller voice is fantastic. Yeah. The impression is almost too good. Yeah, if you do it for too long, it's like Beetlejuice. They start calling you. It's yeah, just Rich. Mikey from Bayshore. It's like, hey, you know about this Conforto guy, Mike? I don't like him too much. Yeah, give us, uh, give us your opinion on the the Stroman versus Nagowski fight. I'm sure it will be very uh, uh, rational here. Let's hear it. Oh, uh, do you mean my opinion or that of our esteemed WFAN callers? Either or. You, I mean, it's it all kind of like bleeds into the same thing. Like the fact that people were like blaming Stroman for that. If he's yeah, I think we can. I think I think we can put it, you know, to, to rest right now that it's yeah. the, the idiot in this situation was John Nagowski, who's a grown man who wears number 69 on his back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, 
the, the reaction to Stroh has just been bad as it always is with him. It's unfortunate and it's depressing because it's, you wonder why it's happening and it happens to him and no one else. Yeah. Uh, I know why. I know why. Yeah. It really undermines that sort of, well, you know, we'd say it about any one point when he's quote tweeting people that are like, hey, how about you go calm down and get yourself some fried chicken? It's like, well, you're not going to you're not going to say that to like Garrett Cole for having a screaming thing on the mound. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like that tweet that's like, um, uh, there's no way to prevent this as only country where this keeps happening, except it's we would say this to anyone says guy who only says it to one player. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not purposely singling out the black guy t-shirt is has people asking a lot of questions already asked by the t-shirt. Exactly. I'd I'd like one month where people aren't using dog whistles about Marcus Stroman, just one month, just literally one month where, and it it shouldn't even take him performing well for this to, to you know, not be a discussion. Like Strowman could have been finishing a no hitter on that play and he still would have gotten shit for it without a doubt in my mind, at least like a guy who walks up to the plate with born in the USA as his walk-up song, just like blaring through the speakers who has like four weeks of major league time under his belt is chirping a pitcher for like basically celebrating, getting to pitch another inning. Cause that's Wait, what is it- that. Is that Nagowski's walk-up song? Yes, yes. It's born in the USA. And is it actually? Time, yes, I swear to God. Like every oh time God. you hear that on the speakers, you know Nagowski's coming up. It happened like four times today. Also, shout out to Drew Smith for striking him out. That was awesome. Like, I will once again say, as I've said a few times on this podcast, my summer job uh, prevents me from watching many of the Mets games uh, because the funny thing about baseball, regardless of whether it's professional or college, a lot of the games start uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like today I was broadcasting as the game was happening. So like I don't get to watch much of the game. So that's why I wasn't aware that Nagowski's walk-up song was freaking born in the U.S. That's beyond parody. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We get it. You're a white American kid. All right. Cool. John. Yeah. Frustrating. Can't wait the funny thing is it's, he's such a bizarre person, even right down to his name. He's like one of those side characters you'd find in like season four of some HBO drama. Yeah. Just John Nagowski with his weird 69 jersey and his Bruce Springsteen getting mad at Stroman. And then in the post game, they asked him, they're like, what, what's your deal? He's like, well, you know, I, I don't mind guys celebrating, you know, having fun at the ball yard, aren't we? Yeah. And it's just a very bizarre scene all around. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the fact that they come out of this thing with like a losing record in the season series against the Pirates is like pretty damning. But at least like I think we're off of the selling at the deadline discourse. I don't know where you were on like, obviously, you're not on the sell the sell at the deadline boat because you have to be a very unintelligent person to think like that. But like, I think the win today, like calmed people down a little bit from like the Fleming scale of like, do we blame the manager for this? Do we blame the training staff? Do we blame the front office? Like, how do we cope with this? That question is kind of like settled because they at least, 
I mean, Sam and I talk about this all the time because it seems to happen almost every time we record when the Mets take two out of three and they drop the Sunday game. It really pays to win the last game of those series. It, I couldn't tell you why. Maybe it's just an emotional thing. And I don't know if you feel that way too, but it's like, it does pay tremendously. Oh, definitely. It's like every time they have a double header and forever, however many in a row, they kept splitting them and splitting them. And any time that you lose on the nightcap, it doesn't matter what you did in the first game. You could have thrown a perfect game and Alonzo could have had four home runs. But in the nightcap, Seth Lugo or Trevor May is going to give up two runs in the eighth inning and people are going to put holes in their drywall for about a week. Yeah. The Brewers doubleheader, specifically, great example of that. Yeah. Where they had the the walk-off winning game one where they came back against Hayter, which no one had done this year. And then in game two, they get shut out with Robert Stock on the mound. And people were like, we suck. We need offense. We can't be having Robert Stock go out there every fifth day, which hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, people were freaking out after like one of the best wins of the season. It's exactly, exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah, definitely. Well, the good thing about this is we run it back tomorrow. We're going to Cincinnati and Jared Eikhoff's going to pitch. And then Tuesday, there's no one lined up. I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, what would you guys do? Like if you were in that front office and like, you had to make a move. God, I <laughs> hope I don't Jay Eikhoff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, he's like the Jose Lima of that team. Like, I just remember. Is that a threat? No, no, no. Oh, no. God, no. God rest his soul, Jose Lima. He was a great guy, but it, it's like a, it's one of those things where the team like DFA'd him twice, but because so many pitchers kept getting hurt, they kept repurchasing his contract and bringing him back up and he lay an egg and they DFA him simply because they didn't have any other pitchers. Like this is just, you know, that like Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker and Joey Votto are going to beat this guy's ass tomorrow. And I, I hope I'm wrong. Cause I do kind of in some ways wish I did well, partly because I want the team to do well, but like, I don't know what to do. Like yeah, lest, lest we yeah. forget that his last start that got him DFA, he gave up like three nukes in the first inning or whatever it was mm-hmm. uh, to Schwarber and, and whoever else hit those homers. But yeah, I mean, the Reds are a pretty good offensive team. They had two all-star starters in their outfield, both of whom are having really excellent years. And I know they're only floating around 500, but I'm a little worried about this series mm-hmm. because they are, first of all, better than the Pirates. And second of all, we don't have any starting pitching for this series. So against a good offensive team, let's see. However, they are they have their own issues with the pitching side, especially their bullpen's been pretty bad this year. Um, I mean, for me, this is a big series because I get – it's a, one of my best friends is a Reds fan, Allie Kaler, who's been on the podcast before. Is We've had this series, you know, circled on our calendars for a while. Yeah. Uh, and this is bragging rights for me that I get to hold over her head if the Mets beat the Reds, um, which I'm looking forward to being able to do. I just need the guys on the field to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though, like when you look at it from an actual baseball perspective, this is a big series. This is a big series. Coming off of losing two of three to the Pirates, even though they won the last game, which is, you know, great for morale. Uh, it's still, you lost two or three to the Pirates, including a game that you were up 6 nothing in the eighth inning. Uh, you should be coming away, coming away with more. And then on top of the fact that you are down Francisco Lindor for a month at least. And you're down Jacob deGrom for 
God knows how long because he's got like a huge precursor injury to potential elbow injury, uh, you know, the elbow injury that I don't want to even invoke name wise. Yeah. Um, it's just scary because our two best players are on the shelf for at, at least the foreseeable future. Uh, and Grom, we don't even know what's going on with him really long term. So that's it's really scary. Um, like what your your original question was, what do you do for Tuesday? What do you do for Tuesdays? You go out and you make a trade and you, you find some starting pitcher that you can get for cheap, whether it's off the waiver wire or even if it's Jose Barrios, I don't know. Yeah. Go, go get someone who can start on Tuesday against a good offensive team and put up innings because this is a bad spot to be in right now. Put staff on the hot seat here. First difficult question we're going to ask you, although I guess how was your weekend was probably a difficult question because the weekend, like, you know, Mets wise wasn't great. What do you do? Like, who do you trade for if you're GM? If I'm a GM, I feel like the name that gets thrown around every single time is Barrios. And I can't really find the reason to disagree with that Mm -hmm. because he's not just a one year solution. You have him this year, you have him next year. And more than I guess anything is someone with a chronic content brain is that he's just a fun and interesting presence. Mm -hmm. Like you could, there are plenty of guys that you could trade for that are just sort of exist. They'll come, they'll throw five innings, six innings, but there's a sort of the entertainment half that sort of gets my synapses firing on all cylinders and he really fits that sort of bill. Can you repeat who was your audio cutout when I was uh, listening to you? Uh, Jose Barrios. Oh, it was Barrios. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Who's apparently a really good teammate and a really good dude. And his, I, his breaking ball is just so sexy. Yeah. And he's worked with Jeremy Hefner, which is like, I think a huge plus because not only is Hefner great with pitchers, but he's really good with pitchers that he's worked with. So I'm, I'm, you know, that would be, that would be huge. I think that the, I guess the question you have to deal with is that, the twins aren't trying to sell right now. Like those sorts of more controllable players, at least like they're not going to sell Buxton. They're not trading Donaldson. They're not trading Maeda, but you have, I mean, they should. Yeah, they probably should. And you don't have, and they probably also know that the Mets are basically like starved for an arm right now. Like we are going to get gouged in that deal. Like we're giving up a lot of players, a lot of prospects for sure. I mean, I probably still do it, for one thing, because the draft was so good. And for another, you now have like six dudes who are all pretty, you know, I think potential top 100s at some point or another. Um, I mean, you probably do it, right? I mean, Rich, where do you draw the line in terms of prospects? Uh, there's definitely that sort of upper crust you don't really want to break into and mortgage too much of any sort of future. Mm-hmm. But uh you definitely have to be willing to at least budge a little bit because if you plan for the future for too long, eventually you don't really have a present. So uh, even if it's not going for a top name guy, just, I don't know, he's not as exciting, but like Zach Davies, who might not be good, but he's healthy, he exists. Mm-hmm. Just, just enough to sort of help you drag your way through this period of DeGrom being down and Carrasco 
not having a setback for four months in a row. Yeah. Just anything. Not a setback. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, for me, the line of demarcation on the prospect list is obviously throw the guys that were drafted this weekend uh, out because uh, you're not trading those guys, obviously. But mm-hmm. I, I think I'd, I would be able to get down with trading anyone in the system not named Beatty or Alvarez. Uh, I think I would trade Mauricio for the right guy, and I think Berrios would be that guy for me. I have a real problem trading – Pete Crow Armstrong, but again, in the right deal, I could be okay with it, even though, my God, he seems like such a fun dude, and I I just want to watch him play baseball and root for him so much. Uh, But in the right deal, I think I would be okay with it. Gin, I'm not too attached to Gin now, especially now that we have some more depth in the pitching staff. This was a good draft for pitching for the Mets. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's my opinion is the only untouchables in this system should be Beatty because he seems like he's really turned a corner and now he's like a top 50 guy. Yeah. And uh, Alvarez, who might be a top five prospect in all of baseball by the end of the season. Yeah, for sure. I think that's where I'm drawing the line too. Um, other things. The Derby happened. Oh, yeah. This, Let's... Like, this is like, okay. So I forget – because of just how like brutal this week was with everything we've listed, almost all of it happening against like the shitty pirates, but Pete Alonso won the home run derby. And basically like in that process of winning it, I think it was like watching him was almost like his soul left his body as he was just like bobbing his head up and down. He was just like another spirit there. Like he's made for that stage. He's going to be in the derby every year. And I, I honestly think he could win like three or four in a row. I don't really yeah. see what's stopping him. Another yeah. thing I didn't get to watch live. Woohoo! Go working yeah. in baseball. Yeah, uh, you had a really bad week because you didn't uh, get the good thing. Yeah, the one thing that I really got to watch this week was the All Star game, which wasn't even that great of a game. But mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, I, I, the home run derby is one of my favorite things, and I love watching it live. And this was a really great derby, and I'm so I'm upset. Like we had rain in the forecast mm-hmm. up here for that day, and I was. out because i wanted to be able to watch the the derby live and i wasn't able to but i stayed away from spoilers the entire game that you know what i was broadcasting and got home not knowing a single thing didn't know a single thing went in search of a replay of the derby couldn't find one anywhere legal or illegal Mm -hmm. and in searching for one got spoiled and what i wound up doing was someone had posted like full rounds on youtube and i just went around by round and watched which having been spoiled uh wasn't as good but i was still watching pete like in awe of yeah him because that dude was on a mission yeah there was i mean nothing was going to stop him from taking that crown and now it's two derbies in a row that he's won that <laughs> i think both times obviously i wasn't online during this one to to be able to see what the reaction was but from what i've garnered and gathered uh, this is two derbies in a row that like nobody actually wanted him to win. They wanted the guy he beat to win, yeah. which is just, yeah. it's so funny and it fits so well with who Pete is at. Like he's just a goofball who has like no social awareness. And like, he thinks that he's like the protagonist in these derbies. Yeah. But it was the, you know, in 2019, it was the 21 year old kid of a superstar who was breaking out and hit like a record amount of homers that everyone wanted to see win. And then this year it was the guy who literally beat cancer. Yeah. And yet Pete is just there bopping his head, vibing and spraying baseballs 
over, you know, over to Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jack was saying, this is essentially what he was born, built and crafted for. If you give this guy a bat and something to hurl balls at him, he will listen to music, bop around and just shoot line drives into left field every single day for months at a time. You don't even have to pay him. You don't have to give him the big check or the to have TV cameras. If you give him music and a bat, this is his element. It's everything he's ever wanted. It's, and then he like he knows he's won, and so he just like takes his time out anyways, and like hypes up the crowd, even though the crowd is like, "No, man, we wanted the cancer guy to win." Yeah, and no, I like the kid is like torn his ACL and is getting like helped off the field. Like Pete just like is bobbing up and down. Like I, memes, I, I respect it. I, I honestly respect it. I also thought his like post, you know, post competition, like presser was also very like, it was almost like Ricky Henderson esque the way that he like talked about himself, like just completely in his own zone uh, speaking to his own ability, like, and it, you know, I know, like, we know Pete as a player, and we've watched him more than I think any other like fan base in baseball. Like, he's not an arrogant dude; he's not pompous. Um, but he's a goofball. He's yeah, just a goof. It, it yeah. surely pissed people off that he was just so like, yeah, I'm the he standard. He's just I'm the bar. This is what I do. Like, he was having like such a good time, and everyone else just had to watch it. And I then for that, and then for that matter, the press conference, like you mentioned when he sat down into the press conference and they said, they introduced him as home run derby champion, Pete Alonzo and immediately goes two time, two time home run derby champion, Pete Alonzo. Like there was nothing more representative of Pete than that video that was going around of the bar. He went to after winning the derby, he has this, however many thousands of dollars, like spinning home run derby champion necklace. Yeah. And they're telling him like, no, sorry, you got to go. And he has every right in the world to be like, hi, you know how there are a million people in your city this week? I'm the guy who just won the home run derby. Yeah. But he's, he's sort of standing there, like looking back and forth, taking a sip of his beer. And he's like, well, uh, all right. Playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I guess I got to go. You're kicking me out. I'm two-time home run champion, Pete Alonzo. I'm Keith Hernandez. You know, that kind of. Yeah. Vibe. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so this has been the first part, uh, we're going to briefly, I think transition into a little ad thing at the free market ad sales coming. And then when we come back, we're going to turn the mic on for staff. We're going to put the spotlight on him. I have a lot more questions because this is the staff episode. So give us a second. We'll be right back. Very excited to get to know this guy more and for you to get to know him more. Yes. When we come back. Uh, but for a moment, my voice is going to sound different as I read an ad that I first recorded uh, six months ago. Yes. Okay. And, and we're, we're back. back. And we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. Post uh, being slaves to capitalism, please give us money, sponsors. Um, <laughs> Sam Lewitz, Jack Hendon, Plus Good Evening Podcast. A little reset here in the middle, which we haven't really done much, but we're trying to do mid-roll ads instead of pre-roll ads because we feel like that probably works like better for mm. all the listeners for you guys because you it's it's kind of jarring to hear at the beginning whatever regardless we're back uh with richard staff from Mets twitter and rich you're an enigma 
to so many people uh, between the are you really married slash divorced thing, which, you know, you when you posted your vaccine card, first of all, yeah. you like broke Mets Twitter in half. Yeah. Because the the joke with you and, and Thor, which we're going to talk about that stuff too. Uh, the, the joke that that kind of made you popular with Noah Syndergaard, uh, like quote tweeting you all the time about how your wife left you. Like I, so many people I think thought that was legit. And then they saw that you're just like a 23 year old kid. Yeah. It really looking at my replies what? right after I put that out, it was just a mountain and a flood of people who noticed they're like, Whoa, your name's actually Richard staff. And there was a sort of three minute gap. And someone would reply and they're like, wait a minute, you're, you were born after Mike Piazza was traded here. Yeah. And there were just so many worlds I saw collapse in front of me that I really didn't expect. There, there must have been some kind of odd feeling of like, ha you sickos, you know that meme that's like, yeah. uh, like watching all the chaos unfold in front of you and being like, First of all, my life is so weird on this website enough so that people think I'm a parody and they're losing their minds when they find out I'm not. And second of all, dance puppets, you know, like I've got all this power over you. I yeah. can, I can yeah. destroy yeah. your brains with a simple, with a simple photo of my vaccine card. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm some sort of egomaniacal sicko, but there was some sort of gratification in people probably almost twice my age knowing that like, yeah, I'm, I'm your entertainment. And also I can't rent a car. How's that? You got, you got pranked by a zoomer basically is what I picked up from it. Cause yeah, I mean, everybody, it wasn't really such a shock. Like none of that really, I think registered with me. I don't know about you, Sam, but like, I don't know, like we've known staff a little bit longer than I think most people did like we were around with him when he was at probably like like three or four thousand followers so we oh i i remember before that i remember your first little bit you know when you're when you're um your at on twitter wasn't your name it was like yeah you yeah. had a bunch of numbers in it and this dude with the keith hernandez profile pic just like started replying funny stuff to like a bunch of prominent mets twitter's yeah. like tweets and you didn't, you had like a couple hundred followers, if that. And I just remember like laughing at a bunch of your stuff and you would comment on my stuff. And I'm like, man, how does he think of stuff like that? Cause that's, I don't know. I don't know how to reply to that because yeah. whatever I reply, it's not going to be even half as funny as what he replied to mine. The thing and is, then, this is probably going to be I, in some weird way an honor for you, but I think I followed both of you. I'm pretty sure before i actually started tweeting on my own wow because you didn't tweet on your own there was yeah now you gotta yeah i made my account back in like 2012 or so oh and there was a five and a half year gap where i just didn't tweet anything at all i followed some people i sort of sat on the sidelines and watched mm -hmm. and i'm about 99 percent sure that both of you, I already had followed before I put a single tweet out. Jeez. I hope I followed back. I mean, I usually, I think in my day probably would. And then like, if they became annoying, I'd unfollow them. Obviously this like, wasn't the case here, but that's, 
Yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like that's like a story for a lot of people on Twitter where like they start by like setting up their email address and like, you know, creating some account with a basic username, but they don't actually go near it. And then just one day they're like, what am I missing there? And they open up the treasure trove of, you know, meek fill memes and like staff posts. And it's just like, all right, well, I'm stuck here. Like I got stuck on Twitter in like 2018, but I set up my account in like 2015, you know, it's like, it, it takes us, I think a certain like kind of aura of baseball. If you're a baseball fan on Twitter to like actually keep you there. And, you know, cause we're Met fans. That's something that, I mean, I probably, one question that I did want to ask and it works out because that Keith ABI has been there for as long as I can remember why a Keith, why a Keith profile picture? Why not like a, a Jay Horowitz or a, I mean, I guess Keith is like his own enigma, right? But it, was that the goal? Or Halloween Keith too. Yeah, Halloween yeah. Keith in like a Duffy's sports bar or something. I don't know what the background is because it's like, it's a little like distorted, but like, I love it. But what was the, what was the, the thought process? Uh, another secret here is that both of you probably know, but it's not the first Keith that was my profile picture. I think before that, at the start, it was when Keith had whatever surgery on his arm or shoulder and his headset was falling off of his head. And it was this just disheveled Keith with his hair everywhere, his headset hanging off, yeah. having the worst yeah. time of his life. Jeez, yeah, and I do then, remember that. Yeah. And at some point along the way, I think it switched to him with the, the hot dog hat on his head. That I, yes. that I very much remember now we're yes. at places yeah yeah and I had that for a few months and I noticed that when it first happened I took a screenshot and made it my profile picture but over time there were a lot more hot dog and Keith's and it really gave me that feeling of oh no I'm just another weird reply guy that's gonna go into someone's under someone's tweet and say wow baby you're so cute so yeah yeah uh, i forget who it was i feel bad because i forget but someone in the mets twitter dm that we're all a part of had this picture of keith i guess at the 2015 world series on halloween night oh yeah that's yeah yeah and they oh. said well uh if too many people have the hot dog why don't you try this i gift it to you that sounds and almost green manish but yeah, it wasn't him. I, I feel really bad because now I forget who's the one who gave me the face to my tweets, but it works. Yeah. It works very I can't well. Explain why, but it really works. I mean, also just side note, 2015 world series, like anchors and panels and whatever has me thinking about this. Just, I have to get it out or else I'll explode. You guys remember when Frank Thomas like talked about the Mets when they lost the World Series and he was like, they don't have, you know, these guys have nothing to be ashamed of. They just played really badly and they blew the World Series. Do you remember that? I do. I thought you were going to pivot to him saying hardware. When, hardware uh, yeah, well, that that too. That was another thing. That he was had like, a really banner entire playoff run. From the entire the commercials that he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy that there was once a time where Rich Staff was was not a poster before he was indoctrinated into the way of posting. Yeah. Well, and... there's also the fact that you're a poster, but you're also a writer. Like this is something oh, that good I think segue, that, man. Yeah, this is well. I mean, I guess it just kind of happens that way, right? We it it 
you are you've been at Amazing Avenue for a little while. So Rich has also appeared on other podcasts. We have some friends at Baseball Prospectus, uh, Jeffrey Paternostro and Jared Seidler, who've had him on a couple times. And you're pretty, I think, familiar with like not only the Mets Twitter crowd, but like the Met, uh, like the Mets minds, so to speak. Uh, yeah. Twitter, like, like blogger crowd. Yeah. Well, I don't. You know, blogger is almost like. It, it, it probably does a little bit of a disservice to like what Jeff and Jarrett do because they work pretty hard on their prospect rankings, but also, yeah, like for the um, like evaluator dudes, yeah, yeah, but also, yeah. yeah, I think that the Amazing Avenue thing is something that a lot of people probably aren't aware of, and it's something you've been doing for kind of a while. Can you tell us a little bit about, I think, like that component of your fandom, like becoming a writer and and what sort of stoked that like this isn't even something where like he used to write and now he's a poster he wrote about the game on Saturday night like he was he had to dredge up an article after that you know embarrassment of an eighth and ninth inning but he, yeah just just explain the uh the method to the madness there for the for the for the people listening sure uh another top secret secret that I could drop now on the podcast is that I was actually writing before I started tweeting. Uh, I started at Amazing Avenue, I think, December 2017. And at that point, I had maybe 50 or so followers, and all of them either wanted to have sex with me. Uh, they're a descendant of deceased General Gaddafi or... Uh, they want me to work at home for $20,000 a month. Yeah. And I was pretty happy with it. And uh, some of the writers at Amazing Avenue at the time, like uh, Allison McCaig and... Uh, Another friend of the pod. Yeah. And uh, she was there and Thomas Henderson. And I think even though he wasn't writing there anymore, uh, Jeff Paternostro was there and Kate Feldman, who's now at the Daily News, and Linda Servich, they all sort of followed me as just a like welcome to the welcome to the website. Here's we'll follow you, you follow us. And that was really the first sort of introduction to, I guess, Mets Twitter that I had, because they were essentially the first people who would read anything I wrote or tweeted. So that's really the ground level. Without Amazing Avenue, you do not have any of whatever the hell I am at this point. And then it's it all all just it all it takes is just one like one little heart on one tweet, and you're like, huh, that felt kind of good. Yeah. I think oh, we'll yeah. do that more. For us, it's when we get retweets from Green Man, like when, yeah. uh, like on our podcast tweets it's like all right like this was a good tweet because because green man liked it you know yeah no that's that's pretty much how i've been like i started posting i was like a 15 year old with i i i think i've had a twitter account since i was 14 in 2014 but i think i started really tweeting about the mets specifically during the playoff run in 2015 and again i only had 100 200 followers at that point but i I would, I was like a green man reply guy. I was like, I really like green man's tweets, like Steve's tweets. I really like them. I'm going to start like just responding to a bunch of them when I think of something witty to say about him. And he'd reply every once in a while. And then every so like, eventually he followed me back in like 2016. 
and he was like one of my first high profile mutuals uh and he every so often i would tweet something and he would retweet it and i was like all right yeah i did good there all right cool because he's like a connoisseur of posts yeah i think what was essentially my first month or so at Amazing Avenue coincided with his last month there. He's still in the slack and everything, but it he was... He went off to work. He went off to do the social media for the Royals for a season, right? Yeah, he was a horrible trader, but he got to fire off a couple Lucas Duda's good tweets. Yeah. But he was also in the slack, and I think... Uh, getting followed by my fellow writers was one thing, but uh, like uh, Chris McShane, Brian Salvatore, and of course, Green Man, they were the three. They had a few thousand followers each. I think Green Man was high four digits. And I'm like, wow, I, these are interesting, funny people. I could reply to them and they actually care, especially after years of uh, following them and liking what they did, it was a real shock to find out that things I said sort of appealed to that same sort of itch in the brain. It is a very specific itch. Yeah, you found it, your niche. Uh, how? When was the first? Like, I don't know if you you remember, but you have a very specific brand of tweet, like format of tweet. It's generally you relating something about the Mets to a historical event or a political event, something that relates to something that I don't know if a lot of people know, but you have a background in history from college of a history degree. Um, yeah. Like when did you like first kind of tap into that like niche of combining these two interests of yours and then realizing that there's an audience for it, specifically this kind of left brained Mets fan that so many of the people that you and I and Jack interact with on a day-to-day basis on that hell site, like fit into? I think uh, it wasn't staff post related now looking back at it, but one of the first things that caused a little bump in my followers was when Garrett Cole signed with the Yankees and he held up that sign that he brought to the game in 2001 or whatever. Right. And I just scribbled over it in the, Apple photo editor. I went over it in white and I just wrote Jacob deGrom's better. Which he is. Yeah. True now, true then, and true every day in between. But uh, that was really the first time something I tweeted out got more than like uh, 50 likes or whatever. But uh, for about two months after that, I was just a generic Mets tweeter. And then once uh, COVID started popping up around the world, if not necessarily here, and the Democratic primaries really turned up, yeah, that was just some perfect concoction into creating what I am now. And uh, I guess it was early March uh, 2020, right around the time Mike Bloomberg suspended his campaign. And I was somewhere and I think some relative's house or whatever. And I saw the news hit and I just went to Twitter and I wrote something like if Bloomberg wanted to dump a billion dollars into a disappointing failure, he should have just bid on the Mets. 
I remember that exact tweet. Yeah. And I sent it and I sort of locked my phone and didn't think about it. And then about a half hour later, I'm getting like texts. I'm getting messages on Slack. They're like, hey, uh, your tweet's going insane. And I don't remember if it was that day or the day after uh, on WFAN. uh, They actually brought it up on the air. They said my handle and it was that was the first sort of uh, flicker of staff boats coming to life was Mike Bloomberg dropping out and getting mentioned on WFAN. That's like a, uh, you know, that meme with the guy who's like, I've definitely done this one before, but like the guy who's like pushing a very small block into another, like a little bit bigger block. And then we get to this point where like staff is 14,000 followers and, and averages like, you know, a couple thousand likes per post. It's like, it's that thing where it starts with Mike Bloomberg deciding to run for president and buy out the entire state of Florida's like ad sales or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like. It's like uh, uh, Mike Bloomberg runs for mayor of New York City in the mid-2000s or whenever it was. Small domino, big domino at the other end. Rich Staff joins baseball's most pleasant podcast. Yeah, yeah everything I've done has led up to this point in this podcast right now. Like, hmm? My Wi-Fi, man. This is I'm like missing some stuff. Say that again. Uh, everything that I've ever done, every post, every like and retweet it has all led to me being here right now yes no that's that's what i implied by the dominant yeah. thing yeah no, he's, I, he's, I know well, i know he said it we didn't i i i i dig that i will yeah i'll definitely co-sign that because that was awesome and um, i would be uh remiss if i didn't mention the one tweet that i'm still proud enough of that i pin it at the top of my profile yes of sad wet leaking crumpled hatted diaper wearing trump with his tie undone marching across the lawn of the white house yep that just says people heading for the seven train after a 12 to 1 loss at city field yeah yeah that was after his uh was that tulsa rally it was the tulsa rally that everyone like made reservations for so that other people couldn't make them so at the actual rally there were only like 400 to 500 people there and it was just like this colossal disappointment yeah there were tens of thousands of tiktok k-pop teens that are like we're going to reserve every ticket and make them think a hundred thousand of us are showing up and that is on uh uh digital activism that's what that is go zoomers (laughs) exactly zoomers rule that's basically the rule here so we're, we're nearing the hour mark. So we want to get to remembering guys soon, but like, we got to talk about Syndergaard and some of your other interactions with MLB players. Like you're like kind of actually friends with like Sean Doolittle, right? This is true. He, uh, he, despite being one of the most gifted ball throwers in this entire nation, he too enjoys a good tweet or two and Apparently, I'm one of them, so I guess I lucked out. He is a poster, and we get to see Sean Doolittle this week with the Reds, so 
uh that'll that i'm sure that'll be fun uh like if you get to interact with him and and if he like blows a game you get to rub it in his face or whatever because he always seems to blow a game against the mets yeah, yeah i i told him, him that i'm going to sit above the reds bullpen on the shea bridge or whatever yeah and i'm going to scream out the name of every single person killed by communism <laughs> directly at him until he has security detain me so <laughs> i have some solid plans and then obviously there's the there's Todd Frazier who once told you that you do fantastic work. Yeah, that I think even though the Syndergaard ones are fun and everything, I think Todd Frazier retweeting a tweet of mine telling me I do fantastic work on a meme about him coming to the Mets being compared to getting shot in the back of the head and killed. <laughs> I think everything surrounding that might make it my favorite player interaction. Yeah, Todd is very like, it, it takes, I think, like a specific kind of interaction with Todd Frazier, but like just from as, an, as a bystander, like he's the perfect combination of like online and not in tune with what's happening online. And it just creates, I think, this, this perfect like medley of, of posts and retweets. And he's a WFA, yeah. He's a WFA and caller. If you put him in a major league baseball, you yeah. the yeah. fact that we hit a target, like that was like, that was like, I mean, I can't even think, cause I don't like, hunt what is it? Ever, but... the, what's the Decomo tweet? The reply to Decomo, another useless stat by you. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did that to a couple people. I think he did that to E hauled a couple times. He maybe even did it to Tim Healy. Which I, is... It's fantastic. Um, Man. Fantastic work. You could even. Yes. Hear. Yeah. I was going to say that the, uh, the group chat that you alluded to earlier that the three of us are all in, uh, it's a it's a pretty big group chat and it goes off constantly and we are we're constantly cycling through in jokes and as such because it's a Twitter DM you can change the name we're cycling through new names constantly like it it changes names like three times a day. Yeah, I think yeah. after the Todd Fraser interaction, the name of the group chat stayed fantastic work, Rich, for probably a good two weeks. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we, we like made a point of not changing it. Like it was basically like a championship banner that that we were hanging there. Yeah. And people still will use that reference in the the group chat sometimes, which is still fantastic work. Because he does fantastic work. Yeah. Yeah. I think for my 10,000th follower, uh, everyone at Amazing Avenue and it was headed by my friend, uh, Dave Capobianco and he got Todd Frazier on Cameo to do yeah. a yeah. 45 seconds or whatever. And just emanating this severe uncle energy, Todd Frazier made sure to point out that he remembered the tweet. He still thinks it was fantastic work. And he really wants me to keep up that fantastic work. As you should. And then, of course, the elephant in this prototypical MLB player interaction room is Noah Syndergaard, who has interacted with your tweets at least dozens of times at this point uh first of all have you had any interactions with noah outside of him just quote tweeting you like off the timeline or is this just something that he organically picked up thinks is legitimately hilarious to keep doing and just keeps doing it uh i don't know if it's surprising or if it's expected but The only things I've said to Noah Syndergaard in my entire life and the only things that he has said to me are the ones that you see on the timeline. Yeah. That your wife's not coming back, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 
He's never reached out to me. I've never reached out to him. But one way or another, we have this uh, Twitter cinematic universe where he, my wife left me, and then it became she left me for him. Mm. And then he's tying her up. And now he has my kids. And I, I don't know where it's going from here, but. Well, anything to get him to like stop posting about like red meat and Game of Thrones is and for the better. Club, yeah. Like even if it, I think even if it takes this joke down and like makes it less funny or whatever, like it 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 keeps him from like I think just shit posting other things. And like I like Noah a lot, but it it sometimes is like a bit much. Uh, like it was, it was pretty clear for a while that when he was like an all star and stuff at the beginning of his career that he had like a social media manager who would like post post memes and stuff. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Cause I don't know what professional social media manager would condone his, his behavior with quote tweeting you so often on the timeline. Yeah. You could tell like 2015, 16, there was someone managing it. Like, Oh, you know, it'd be a great idea if when you go to the championship series, there's lightning hitting Chicago Yeah, and you're not really going to find someone who you'd pay I'll be like, hey, Noah, it's me. Uh, you know that 22-year-old kid? I'm going to yeah. reply, shut up, dick. I'm having sex with your wife. Yeah, he definitely thinks you're like 45. It's so he, funny. He it's... quote tweeted my vaccine card. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh. Okay. And despite That's... that, he has still kept going for about three months. That's incredible. Is there any indication? That, like, He doesn't follow you, right? No, he made a point of saying uh, a couple months ago, someone replied to me and he made a point of mentioning that he will not and never will follow me. And then he followed that up by following the person he replied to and still not following me. So I have to imagine that because it's not always just you reply to one of his tweets and then he quote tweets that one. Sometimes it is just completely out of the blue, right? Like I, I have to believe that he's got a burner that follows you. The first time it happened outside of like one interaction two and a half years ago and one last November was when he was tweeting back and forth with Trevor Bauer. And oh, yeah, I didn't even reply to Syndergaard. Bauer said something like, oh, you have a date. And me in the replies said something like, oh, that's weird. He isn't even your agent. And within about five seconds, I had a reply from Noah Syndergaard. I'm like, wait a minute. How how is he getting to that when it has about five likes on it? He's standing on the shoulders of a giant. That's what's happening. Yeah. And it evolved from replying to me when I reply to him. And then at some point, I think in March and April or whatever, he pivoted from waiting for me to say something and then replying to me. And his next move was just to tag me in tweets that had nothing to do with what was going on. I'd be sitting on my computer, or whatever. And a bunch of people are texting me. They're like, Hey, Noah Syndergaard just put up a poll on Twitter. If your wife's coming back, I'm like, what? I haven't tweeted at him in a week. And they're like, no, there's like 10,000 votes. It's not ever or never rent free. it's rent free that said i can't wait till he comes back when he comes back hopefully he comes back i think he will but like he's very sorely needed um and he's very sorely missed i think just like on a mound 
we oh, we're going we're going back to baseball conversation. Well, just briefly. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we, we busted Noah's chops for so long. I do want to, I think, put the disclaimer on that, like, we love him. And also, you know that, like, there's going to be a whole other dimension to his staff posting or staff clapback or whatever we'll call it once he's actually pitching again. Which he pitched be- that one full game in rehab. And again, he, I guess came off of the mound he got into the clubhouse i didn't tweet to him he found a tweet that i put up like three days earlier and he quote tweeted me and then he tagged me on top of the quote tweet and he said the batters today made about as much contact as you've had with your wife and kids in a year and i think him being back even just i guess him on his own it's just more entertaining when he actually has something to do in a physical sense that he could tie back to either bullying me or bullying someone else who shows up online that's fantastic he's got posters brain and and that's that's excellent and then the other part is that like uh i feel like he definitely follows you on some burner that he doesn't use all that often because like that to me that three days later that reads as though either he planned it or he like switched over to his burner for the first time in like three days. And your tweet just happened to be at the top of the timeline still. And he was like, Oh yeah, let me do this real quick. Like he's gotta be following you somewhere. Like he has to, we should do like a deep dive and uh, like look at mutual follow, like people that follow him and follow you. People that follow him and follow you and have like relentlessly tweeted about how bad a catcher Wilson Ramos was. And it will probably be Noah. I think that's probably the best way we like weed it out. Cause that's the only other person who I think like he's really like, I think he, he would really resort to a burner for, uh, you know. For yeah, he hated throwing a Ramos. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I don't really blame him. Uh, the organization also made him like the bad guy for that, which was amazing to me because it literally took like, it, it didn't take a very like, I think, sharp eye to understand why people didn't like i think pitching to ramos couldn't really block anything but on the wilson ramos note shall we introduce staff to the bit the weekly bit the guy of the week yeah let's remember some guys all right which Uh, we've stolen which we've almost i don't want to say stolen that's not the right word it's it's not his thing but like another friend of ours another friend of rich's david roth is kind of the remembering guys guy yeah. And kind of uh, influence the starting of this bit, I would say. Yeah, definitely. We have a lot of influences. We're not that, we're not like that smart. No, yeah. I mean, every good joke is bred from someone else's joke, as they say, as comedians say. Uh, so let's, uh, should we start with the guest or do we save our guest for last? I think we should let the guest decide, make this like like a twofold. How, Rich, how good is Starting your guy? This guy. I think on his own, he's a pretty good guy. But once you mix in a sort of online component, he's he's a top shelf guy, I'm he's thinking. So we'll, let's save your guy for last. My guy, I'll be honest, my guy is fine. Uh, he's a guy, certainly. Uh, he's a, both been a Met and a Pirate, um, although not for exceptionally long as a Met. You know it's good when you're remembering a guy who's got over 2,500 Major League at-bats and he's got a negative war 
And for me, that guy today is 2012 Mets legend Ronnie Cedeno. Um, mm, wonderful. Ronnie Cedeno. That's like, yeah, that's a good one. I actually kinda... wasn't half bad as a Met. Maybe. He had a 105 OPS plus, which if it was over a full season, it was 78 games. He never matched that. This was the only time in his major league career that over any sample size, he had an OPS plus over 100. In fact, it was the only time in his career he had an OPS plus over 98. Yeah, that's that's like pretty good because he was also like he was sort of like a bat first guy. Like you'd think because he, he kind of had an athletic build. You would think he'd be a good fielder, but like he really was just like a solid like right handed bat off the bench. He was sort of like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't remember that much about him, but he definitely was not bad. He, definitely- he also I remember him because he just. First of all, I brought bringing up because he's he was a pirate before he was a Met and yeah. you know, pirates on the brain. But he also straight up just like looks like a child. Like even to this day, he's just got a very young face. Baby face. Yeah. Yeah, that works. So that's why I, I remember Ronnie Cedeno, who hasn't played since he was a 31 year old in 2014. He's 38 now. And I bet he still looks like he could be passing his 17. It could be. Could very well be. Rich, I do, you, also... do, you have any mem- do you have any Ronnie Cedeno memories? Oh, yeah. I do. It uh, It's sort of a dumb kid memory, but I'm pretty sure he came up with the Cubs in about 2005 or so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and 05. Yeah. I was a big dork who played a lot of MVP 05. And at the time, because I guess coming up, he was pretty good contact hitter and he was moderately fast. So... I remember, I think one of the roster updates near the end of the year put him in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, as like a seven-year-old or eight-year-old kid playing MVP 05, I'm like, hey, this guy isn't horrible. And seven years later, he comes to the Mets. And I'm thinking, wow, that's fun. And he wasn't fast anymore. I'm pretty sure he wasn't good at defense anymore. But there was that little flicker of, childlike wonder that still resided inside of me yeah that's like that's definitely a good one 2012 in general I think was a year that like sparked like little things where like if you were young enough you probably like appreciated it more like Mike Baxter is another player of that like ilk who wasn't particularly good but you did kind of like have some I think recollection of in some way like he was like the queen's guy who saved the no hitter um that would just be one example but yeah 2012 was a great year um i guess i'll go next remembering my guy a little earlier than this uh but one of i think my first experiences like as a met fan was like reading and like learning about trades was learning about chris benson who was uh, a former pirate and then the mets got him for ty wigginton i think and then they had him for two years. He was like a first overall draft pick in like 97 or 98. Uh, he was supposed to be very good. And like, because he was a pirate that didn't really happen for him. And then when he came to the Mets, like his wife kind of became like more of a story than him because she like had all the gossip about all the players and she wasn't afraid to share it. I would kill the, I think, live in an era, put them in an era where Twitter was a thing and we could like learn more. Cause nowadays you have like players, uh, you know, like families 
like fathers, uncles, wives, mothers, brothers, like, you know, essentially like outing other players in their own way. Like Robbie Ross's wife is basically like, like endorsing eating shampoo or something on the timeline, like just stuff like that. Anna Benson Wheeler posting about his brother and defending people who posted, you know, badly about him. Yeah. Yeah. That same exact thing. Or like, yeah, Gary Sheffield Jr. Too. It's, it's a whole thing, but Chris Benson's wife was like to be this active in like 2005 and then 2006 before they traded him. Like she got under a lot of people's skin, pissed off a lot of PR people with the Mets, but man, I, 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 I think I'd go through it again as a fan. Like we got John Maine for it. Yeah, I was like waiting for you to mention Anna Benson. Because yeah. I knew because when you're remembering Chris Benson, you're not remembering Chris Benson. You're remembering Chris Anna and Benson. Anna. It was yeah. a, it was a yeah, it was a combination. But that's and my guy, Chris Benson. You have to remember her crowning achievement where she went on like serious satellite radio with Howard Stern. And she made sure to point out that if Chris were to ever cheat on her, she would go to every coach, every player every bat boy from the major leagues to short season a ball and have sex with every single one of them. <laughs> I can imagine Howard Stern on the radio being like, that's wild. That's wild. That's wild. I, I don't so, even care if they cancel baseball. So, so you're going to have sex with everybody in the organization. <laughs> like already laying on the other side, just like spewing like very sexist things about her <laughs> over the air. Like just the whole thing. I'm so that's a thing that I'm kind of happy I didn't grow up around is like the serious XM like Opie and Anthony era like that was just wild that whole I mean really wild but it's wild. time we for were, Rich to remember his guy yeah we were promised an impression at least at least one impression and Rich Rich came through he, on the impression there. he got one like five out of ten scrambled Howard Stern so yeah I hope you're happy all right Rich bring bring us your guy Play it on us. All right. My guy, he, uh, one fun fact, he played for every single one of the former New York teams. He, uh, he's on Twitter and he loves tweeting about his wife's gazpacho recipe. And I think yesterday or the day before, he tweeted that people should get their vaccine. Mm. And then when people got mad at him, he just replied, get coughed on you deserve to die about 20 times he logged on today and 11 hours ago he tweeted in all lowercase letters twitter is horrible and i hate it uh the guy i'm remembering is ricky leday oh my god that's wait hang on i forgot he has a twitter yeah i stumbled across his twitter the other day i hadn't seen any of what you're mentioning but Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, wait, is this the real Ricky Ledee? And it was. Yeah. It looks like most of his replies where people are like, listen, brother, I'm not getting the Fauci ouchie. He would reply like, I'm coming over there to cough on you and we'll attend your funeral. (laughs) It looks like most of those are gone, but there is still one where someone quote tweeted his thing saying, please get vaccinated. Person said no. And he replied, all lowercase again. Are you scared of medicine like a baby? Yeah, that's that's great. That's honestly like, geez. And he put together a half decent major league career. He yeah. he was like a Yankee, uh, like up and comer. 
he was the kind of player that like Yankee fans would go on WFAN and propose like, like the Mets trade out lighter for the old Estevan Floreal or, or Clint Frazier. Well, the old Billy McKinney, the old Brandon Drury, the old Garrett Cooper. It's like all the same. They always have outfield prospects, but he was. Hey, Mike, first time, long time. How about uh, Georgia Roddy and Ricky Lede and we get Piazza. Yeah, we get Piazza and uh, Robin Venturu. <laughs> we got nothing better to do. You're waiting uh, three hours for this? Come on. Dude, what are you doing? Three hours to make that call. Just the mink man. <laughs> I need more Francesa. That was fantastic. That was good. We could do that a while. We could just set up a whole bit of that, like separately. Oh like you always leave them wanting more. That's how you get booked for a second appearance. <laughs> you certainly earned a second appearance, Rich. This is right. a hell of an episode. Something like I said before, we've been waiting a long time to pull off, and it's a crowning achievement. No better way to start season two than with Richard Staff. All right, Rich, before we sign off, any words for your wife if she's listening? I just want to see the kids more than anything. Call me. Damn, bro, that's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. All <laughs> right. For, uh, thank you so much, Rich, for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. For Jack Hendon, my name has been Sam Lebowitz. We'll see you next week, Mets fans, with episode two of season two, episode 46 overall. In the meantime, let's go Mets this week in Cincinnati. And Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. Thank you.